Proverbs. I'm going to jump right into our sermon here. And so we are, we were blessed that we were able to go to the university on Thursday, University of Milwaukee. It was the first time we'd been to a campus in about two years with the COVID stuff going on. So uh, we got a nice, it was actually our last nice day of weather. So the weather was nice. We had a nice crowd of students that gathered around. A lot of good discussion and conversation came out of that. Uh, we had a crowd of upwards of 100 students or so that was there for most of the day. We were there about five hours. And uh, a lot of good interaction, discussion, of course, as is commonplace when you start to make sense to young liberals. Other young liberals will come and want to disrupt that. <laughs> and so they, we had a group of about 30 or 40 of them that got their little Bluetooth speakers and started blasting music, doing their little chants. You know, <clears throat> They'll try to have an intelligent conversation with you. They'll say something that's just, of course, ludicrous, and you just point out the obvious logical flaws in their statement, and then rather than respond, what they do is they just start chanting. And so that's common. Um, one classic example was a little group of, of feminist ladies was standing here, and we were having a conversation. They were, of course, some of them were screaming, and I was saying, let's calm down and try to have a rational conversation. They were yelling at some of the younger people in our group that were holding signs, and I said, let's try to talk through this. We're here to have a, a reasonable dialogue. And so they, of course, said that we were stupid, we were ignorant, we were all this, that, and the other thing. And I said, well, you're educated, um, and you believe yourself to be well-educated, it seems, certainly superior to us. Can you tell me what the First Amendment to the Constitution is? It's fairly important. The Bill of Rights, it's fairly important in the history of the world, fairly important. And, and, and she just looks real confused. You can tell she, the wheels are starting to turn, and you can tell she has no clue what the First Amendment is. And so the wheels are turning, but she doesn't want to look stupid because she, of course, has the, believes this, that she is significantly more educated than, of course, us narrow-minded imbeciles. And so she just says, after pausing and fumbling in her brain for a few seconds, she says, well, I don't give an F, and I don't care what the First Amendment is. <laughs> and so I just go, oh, my goodness. Well, at least you're honest. And, of course, some of her friends were kind of, like, embarrassed and, uh, like, well, that's not the answer we were expecting. And then one of them, of course, is going on this anti-America rant that, you know, of course, is white male. I shouldn't have anything to say on any of these topics because I'm a white man and all we've done is oppress people through history. And all America has done is oppress people through history. And America is a terrible country. And I said, well, oddly enough, I do agree that America is not a great country right now, <laughs> but for very different reasons than I think you would believe. You think there's too many people like me, and I think there's too many people like you. So that's <laughs> kind of where the divide is, you know. But... Um, so she says, uh, you know, um, Christianity, blah, 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 is a bunch of BS and all this. And I say, I'm paraphrasing and editing <laughs> what she was saying. But um, I say, well, what is your rational basis for your moral claims? You've made a lot of moral claims out here today. So what is your basis for making the moral claims that you've asserted? If Christianity is, is invalid, if the Constitution, Declaration, those things are invalid. And she says, well, I'm a Buddhist. I said, oh. I said, I didn't know Buddhists ran around cussing people out, first of all. But second of all... Can you give me an example of a Buddhist nation that, is, that has superior rights to what you have here in America? Is there a Buddhist nation that you can point me to that has existed in history or exists presently that has done a better job of securing individual liberties and rights? And, of course, you could tell she's never thought that deeply about probably anything in her life. And she was just looked at me with this blank stare in her face, and she's like, uh, I said, well, can you, let's, let's simplify it. Can you tell me of a Buddhist nation today? And uh, continued blank stare. Um, and I said, you don't even know of a Buddhist nation? 
you hate America, this country that you live in, we have all these privileges, you despise, you despise our heritage, you despise Christianity, and yet you've never studied any of this. You don't really know what you're talking about. And so she finally blurts out, well, India is a, is a, India is a, a Buddhist nation. <laughs> and so I say, well, do you think that you have superior rights? Would you have superior rights in India than what you have here in America today? Because that's certainly not the case. In fact, they used to burn women alive in India. And the only reason that stopped was because Christians went there, colonials, evil colonials, and they banned that practice. But secondly, India is actually not a Buddhist country. It's actually a Hindu country. Now, Buddhism is a derivation of Hinduism, okay, but it's not, it's not, a, Hindu, it's not a Buddhist country. It's a Hindu country. So you're wrong on <laughs> many points, you know. And then her friend, and finally, uh, her friend chimes in and says, well, China, China's a Buddhist country. And I said, well, yeah, China probably has the largest Buddhist population in the world. And so if that's your example of a superior system of ethics and civil liberties, you know, I'd be willing to have that conversation with you. And so our friend mumbles something about, well, yeah, they're, they're, he's just going to say that they're an evil communist country, and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, you said it. <laughs> so anyway, that's the... Uh, level of intellectual sophistication you get amongst those who, sadly, are becoming the leaders of the world and are, are taking over all of our institutions. And so, the implosion of the West, I think, is upon us. And that was sort of, uh, continues to be my takeaway as I go and minister on the streets, is that uh, just looking at the young generation that's being raised up in this country, uh, the streamline of the education system, and the entertainment industry and the corrupt government institutions we have is just, we're headed for some hard times. <laughs> we're headed for a real downfall. So anyway, <clears throat> regardless of that, some good ministry work was done. There was a lot of good conversations and fruitful discussion that took place. And some, quite a few people thanked us for being there. So there was also a good bit of support for our message. And so the polarization of our nation continues as well. Um, regardless, we need to be on the streets, we need to be vocal, we need to be standing up. Amen. This is not a time to hide, not a time to be fearful, but a time to be bold. Amen. And, uh, and a time to organize. So, <clears throat> with that being said, if you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 18, and I'm going to speak this morning about something that's applicable to all this, but I'm going to bring it home really to us as individuals. And I'm going to talk about the awful sin of pride. And so I appreciated Timothy's prayer back there for a couple that we know that is going through a divorce. And indeed, pride is a major factor, a major component in uh, that failed relationship. And indeed, we could argue pride is at the heart of almost all failed relationships. And so we're going to get into this topic of pride this morning. We want to examine pride and do a, uh, a heart check in our own hearts regarding pride and we want to, uh, to see what Scripture has to say about this awful thing called pride. Proverbs chapter 18. We'll start with a simple verse of Scripture. We'll go through other verses of Scripture, but we'll start with a simple verse of Scripture here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 12. And if you'd like to stand up, we can stand up and we can read the Scripture together here. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you for the goodness that you uh, have extended to us, that we indeed can know you, and that we uh, can gather here this morning, that we still do retain freedom to do these things and to speak these things and to redress our government for grievances, to, to proclaim your gospel in the streets of this country, Father. I pray that we would be, be diligent in those labors and also diligent in, in loving our families, Father, and uh, in seeking you and putting you first in our lives. And so I pray you'd speak to us this morning. May our hearts be humble to receive from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Amen. Or as another place in Proverbs says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And he goes on to say, before honor, there must be humility. Amen. And so scripture juxtaposes pride and humility. We are told in scripture to clothe ourselves in humility, to walk in humility. The Bible denounces anywhere and everywhere it speaks of this, of pride, it denounces it. We see it in the fall of man in the garden. In the book of Genesis, we see the serpent. Of course, the serpent was lifted up in pride and brought low upon its belly in that, in that whole story. We see Adam and Eve drawn to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were told not to eat from because it would make them wise. We see the pride that was used to seduce them into an act of rebellion against God. And then we see them hiding from God, hiding in shame, covering themselves, not wanting to be honest and real about who and what they were and what they had done. We see pride manifesting itself already in their rebellion as they sought to cover their sin, to hide themselves from God. And so pride produces a variety of manifestations of evil in the human heart. But it is the starting point of all sin. Pride. It is the starting point of rebellion against God. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Jonathan Edwards, the great Revival preacher said, remember that pride is the worst viper that is in the heart, the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ. It was the first sin that ever was and lies lowest in the foundation of Satan's whole building, and it is the most difficult to root out. It is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. Amen. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon had much to say on this. He said, there is nothing into which the heart of man so easily falls as pride, and yet there is no vice which is more frequently and emphatically and eloquently condemned in the scripture. Amen? And so it seems even as I was preparing this sermon, God was fashioning me with many examples of dealing with pride, as this week, of course, on the campus, what we saw was a, a tremendous array of arrogance and pride on display by haughty young people whose arrogance was matched only by their ignorance. And we see, of course, our nation continued to plummet into tyranny as the arrogance of our governmental leaders, political leaders, and uh, the medical community, their arrogance and their pride continues to be on full display to be seen by our country as they pull us into increasing tyranny. I had a, a work situation this week with a guy, as I was preparing this sermon, who sort of erupted on a job in a fit of pride, and uh, and we I had to confront it and deal with it. It was quite a, added quite a bit of stress to an already stressful job, and uh, it was just pride. 
stupid old foolish pride, somebody who could not take correction and refused to acknowledge the wrong things they had done in screwing up a situation. And so, thankfully, that situation did, I think, get resolved well, hopefully. But pride is an ugly, ugly thing. We see it all around us. I've seen it in churches. I've seen churches torn in two. Matt has certainly seen it in his years of ministry. Arrogance in the pulpit, arrogance in church leadership, arrogance amongst those who sit in the church pew. And their haughty criticisms of the leadership of a church or their haughty criticisms of others within the church. We have seen pride divide and destroy churches, ministries, Christian organizations. We've seen pride destroy families. We've seen pride rip families apart. I've seen families that I knew very well who were very good friends of ours be torn apart because of pride, haughtiness, arrogance, and unwillingness to acknowledge wrong and unwillingness to acknowledge fault. I've seen pride in the workplace. I'm sure many of you have seen and dealt with an arrogant, haughty coworker or manager or a boss or seen what envy and jealousy and pride do in the workplace to disrupt what would otherwise be a healthy working environment and a productive working environment. Pride wreaks havoc in any and every relationship, any and every human institution, and in any and every human heart. Of course, in our own home, I can tell you the biggest source of conflict in our home is pride, whether it's my own pride, my own arrogance, which I have to deal with, or my children's pride as they fight and argue with each other, or Sarah and I having conflict with each other. More often than not, the root cause is our own pride. And I'm thankful to have kids and a wife who are happy to point out to me when they see me behaving and acting in foolish pride. Amen? Because every man has pride. And if you don't think you have pride, then you are a fool. If you are unaware of the ways in which pride manifests itself in your life, then you need some friends who can speak honestly to you. You need to listen to them. Every man has pride. Spurgeon said, under the greenest grass, worms hide themselves. Amen? Pride blinds us. One of the most destructive components of pride is that it blinds us. The most proud are the least capable of seeing it. And the only way to begin to see your own pride and how it affects you is this. Total surrender to the Lord. That is the only way that pride is broken within the heart of man. The only way we can see our pride is when we begin to see ourselves through God's eyes. With the light of Scripture... And we let his spirit come into our hearts and sift our hearts and search our hearts and show us ourselves. Suddenly we can begin to see the pride that lurks within our own hearts. Because it's there. And it affects us in ways we don't realize. And of course, everybody's good at seeing pride in other people. There's nobody that likes pride in other people. There's no way that pride is, is, is appreciated or applauded or uplifted in other people. We all see it in other people and we denounce it. And we despise it in others. And it is so hard to see within our own hearts. Benjamin Franklin, a great quote on pride, he said, In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will every now and then peep out and show itself. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome pride, I should probably become proud of my humility. And indeed, that is true. Amen. And uh, we, can, we can have a false humility, and we'll talk about that. But you need to let God search your heart. Allow him to come upon the throne of your heart. 
There are so many men that I know that come to church who have only given a portion of themselves to God. They have not fully surrendered themselves to God. Or they've surrendered, but they've gone back as a pig to his vomit, dog to his vomit, pig to his wallowing in the mire. They've gone back in many areas of their lives and said, No, God, these areas of my life I'm going to retain control over. That is pride. Pride wants to exalt itself as ruler, as God. And that's why C.S. Lewis said it is the total and complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is at the root of all human sin because it exalts itself above God. When we put God in the rightful place of our heart, we surrender all to him. He begins to sift and deal with all the motivations of our heart. We begin to see ourselves as we truly are. And so true, true and total surrender is needed if we are going to rid ourselves of pride. And make no mistake, pride lurks in every human heart. And America is a proud and haughty nation. It is, our nation is filled with arrogance. We breed it in the fabric of society and all of our institutions. We are proud and an arrogant people. And we better believe that God is preparing to bring us low. So what is the definition of pride? Going back to the Webster's Dictionary, 1828 Dictionary, which I'm a big fan of. If you don't have a Webster's 1828 Dictionary, I encourage you to get it. Now, of course, you can have it right on your, on your phone and the Internet, but I have an old big copy of it at home and have my kids, well, I used to have my kids read it. I don't know how many of them have read it anymore. How many of you read that 1828 Webster's Dictionary? Yeah, okay, well, I'm a little derelict in my duties. Um, Got to introduce you to that. So... Pride is this, according to Webster, an undue confidence, an undue confidence in an attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state of being, stature, possessions, or position. Undue confidence in an attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state of being, stature, possessions, or position. And, of course, Webster went on a lengthier definition that's now been since removed from Webster's Dictionary, but it... He went on and talked about it was exhibited in a shift from centering on God's will to self-will. A shift from centering on God's will to self-will. At the root of pride is self-will. We are creatures created by God. We did not create ourselves. And at the heart of our understanding of who and what we are must come the recognition we are not God. There is a God. He is above us and we ought to submit to him. We were created for him. We were not created to serve ourselves, but we were created to serve God. We do not exist to serve ourselves, but we exist to serve God. And that is a fundamental truth that we must embrace, and it's easy for us to live our daily lives in, in, in neglect or ignore or lose sight of. And so what are the characteristics of pride? An inability to see one's own, one's own faults or acknowledge one's own faults, even if they see it, Right? Some people just don't even see their faults. Some people see it, but they refuse to acknowledge it. Their pride will not let them acknowledge that they were wrong. You can point it out to them six ways this Sunday. They can see it. They can understand it. And you can see it in their face. They know it, but they still refuse to acknowledge it. Either an inability to see or an inability to acknowledge one's own faults. Overemphasis on the faults of others, putting other people down. That's a sign of pride, an overemphasis on the faults of others, a fault-finding individual. Critical spirit. Constantly putting other people down. This is pride. Defensiveness and irritation or an inability to listen to criticism or to someone who's trying to help you see your faults. Right? The Bible says provoke one another unto love and good works. 
that we are to admonish one another, that we are to submit to one another in love. All of that implies that we are going to be in relationships and community where we point out each other's flaws out of a good spirit, well-intentioned, because we love people, we want to see them grow and mature. And what pride does is it shelters us from criticism. People will sever relationships because that person points out their flaws. People will, will, will limit the ability that others have to speak to their lives because of their pride. And as a result, they wind up just becoming increasingly more prideful. Defensiveness or irritation. Don't, don't, don't mention, don't talk to me about that. How many people have you met that get irritated, get defensive when they're being criticized? I say we probably all do it at various times. You want to know the measure of your pride? Do, some, do a heart check and look at how irritated you get when people point out things about yourself that you don't like and don't like hearing. It will give you a good gauge of where your pride level is at at the present moment. Humble yourself. Other characteristics of pride, a haughty attitude. A haughty attitude. Some people are just haughty, just arrogant, just carry an arrogance about them. Overinflated view of oneself and an overinflated view of one's own importance. And of course, a disregard for God and his rule in one's life. Overinflating one own, one's own view of their self and minimizing God's view and his rule in our life. And of course, at the heart of pride is not just exalting self, not just lifting up or raising up self, but it's lifting up self in relation to others. There's a world of difference between seeking to be the best that you can be, which in sports or in other areas, I encourage all my kids to be the best they can be. We should want to do great things for God. We should want to strive for excellence. We should want to be good at things and strive for excellence at the things that we do. We should want to cultivate skills and we should speak with confidence on the things that we're competent and capable of doing and we should grow our skill set and we should increase our productive, our productive labors and energies and capacities. That's all good. That's not pride. At the heart of where pride enters in at its root, pride seeks to exalt oneself above others. Pride doesn't just seek to exalt itself, it exalts itself in relation to others. And so there's a world of difference between seeking to be the best that you can be and seeking to be better than others. And that's where the awfulness of sin really begins to destroy in profound and significant ways. Look at some scriptures here. We see this as Isaiah speaks of what we believe to be the fall of Satan and Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, he says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For you had said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell the sides of the pit. Amen. And so pride, arrogance, haughtiness, the exaltation of self is at the root of the fall of Satan, is at the root of the fall of man, and it's been at the root of the fall of every one of us. Our own pride is our own worst enemy. Our own pride, our own inability, our own refusal to humble ourselves before God first 
and our fellow man second is at the root of all of our problems relationally and all of our problems spiritually. The refusal to get off the throne of our own hearts, to put God on the throne of our hearts, total surrender to him. We are not God. He is God. Make him the God of your life. Make him the God of all of your life. Surrender to him. Give him his rightful place. And so here we see Lucifer brought low, brought down to the pit. As he sought to exalt himself above the throne of God. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, only by pride comes contention. Only by pride comes contention. You're in a contentious situation, dealing in a contentious relationship, counseling a contentious couple. Have a contentious situation at the workplace, understand, guaranteed, there is pride. There is evil, awful, sinful, selfish, ungodly pride. It needs to be seen, exposed, rooted out. And if it's coming from you, see it, look in the mirror, do a heart check, humble yourself. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says, God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. And that verse is quoted by both James and Peter using the same Greek word. For a proud and arrogant person says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Many are fighting and wrestling with God today, and their stupid, selfish pride prevents them from even being able to see what everybody else can see. Pride, as I said, is, is, is blinding. The proud man can't even see his own pride, his own wretched condition. God must pierce that hard heart and bring humility to that hard, hard heart. James 3.16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil work are there. Pride produces envy, self-seeking, arrogance, haughtiness. Every evil work and confusion will be there. Proverbs 29 says that pride brings a person low. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Amen? And as we looked at, as I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Amen? And so we see pride in Scripture bringing men down. We see pride destroying many good works and good things. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Men of God lifted up in pride, fall in their face, and destroy and hurt many. The Corinthian church, Paul repeatedly reproved them for their spiritual pride. He said, you are babes. I cannot feed you with milk because you are babes. There's division and strife amongst you. Why? Because you boast. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. You're arrogant. You are haughty. You are spiritually self-righteous. Cease your arrogance and your haughtiness. Stop boasting in your flesh. Paul repeatedly, repeatedly in the first four chapters of Corinthians Speaks of their boasting. You're boasting. Your boasting is not good. Humble yourself. What do you have, he says to them, that you did not receive? What are you boasting in? What do you think makes you so much better than other people? Please tell me what it is. Because I guarantee it didn't come from you. It was a gift given to you. You say, I'm so much more intelligent than these people. They're all idiots. Are you really? Where'd you get your intelligence? Did you produce it yourself? No, it was a gift of God that was given to you. Give him the glory. Don't use it as a tool to beat up your fellow man and to lord it over them in pride. What do you have that you did not receive? Spiritual knowledge? Spiritual insight? Privilege? 
status, good job. Be thankful for those things. Give God glory for those things. Honor him. There's nothing that we have that God did not give us. Amen. As Paul said, in this flesh dwells no good thing. And if I boast, I will boast in the cross of Christ. He said, all my good works, all my accomplishments, of which Paul had many, and they were good things, and God used those good things to advance the gospel through Paul, but those were things that God did in Paul. And, God, and Paul said, all my good works, all these righteous things, all these accomplishments are a pile of dung compared to Christ and his glory. If that's not your attitude, that's not your attitude, I can guarantee you there is pride growing in your heart and it is reaping destruction. It is reaping awful things in your relationships and in your life. It may even be separating you from God. It may even, as he says of Lucifer, lead you to hell. Do a heart check. Learn the biblical lessons. Understand that pride lurks within every one of our hearts. We are by nature proud, haughty, rebellious. And it is only until we fully and totally surrender to God everything that he begins to uproot that in our lives. And that's a lifelong process. Pride was the root sin of Sodom. How many of you know that? Yes, they were Sodomites, and that was awful. But in Ezekiel, he speaks of their pride, their pride, their arrogance, their haughtiness is what led them into grotesque sexual perversions. And it is not a coincidence that the mantra of the LGBT crowd today is what? Pride. And they've taken the rainbow. Pride. They indeed will stand before God. The prophets railed against the pride of the nations that they were confronting and that God was judging. Read through the prophets and you will see a theme over and over and over again. God hates the shedding of innocent blood, their, their, their uh, trampling of the poor, their lies, their corruption, their bribery, and at the root of it was, is their pride. Jeremiah 48, we have heard of Moab's pride. How great is her arrogance of her insolence, her pride, her conceit, and the haughtiness of her heart. And God would bring them low. Amen. And God used the prophets to thunder against their pride. Pride is an ugly and an awful thing. And the scripture denounces it from cover to cover. Amen. And so it can manifest itself in varying ways. I want to talk about some different types of ways that pride manifests itself that are not in the obvious. We can all see the guy strolling around like a peacock, sticking his accomplishments in everybody's face. We can all see the guy who gets defensive anytime you criticize him and he wants to get irritated and push back. He doesn't want to listen to any criticism. We can all see those very obvious manifestations of pride. But there's other ways that pride can be a little more subtle. How many of you know that there is a false humility? That pride can guide, can cover itself in a false humility. There are many who can feign humility in a manipulative fashion. I've known people that I thought were the nicest guys in the world. Because when they came around me, they were around Pastor Jason. And they put on their good face. They put on their spiritual face. Hey, brother, God bless you. Yeah, praise the Lord. And then I find out they're treating their family like garbage. I find out they're horrible, lazy workers. Or I find out they're dishonest, corrupt in their financial dealings. Manipulation. They use humility to manipulate. Oh, man, you're a great preacher. I'm not that. You know, I'm just trying to serve God. You know, just, yeah. People can be fake and phony as a $2 bill. People can use pride as a 
form of manipulation. Their pride will, will cause them, rather, to manipulate and use humility, a show of humility, as a means of simply manipulating others to get what they want. I remember working with a guy that was like the nicest guy. And he was where I was. We, were, we worked for, I was a, you know, a laborer working for a harbor flooring company. And uh, he, as a laborer, he worked for his uncle who was a, was, was a foreman there and uh, ran a crew. And so he was the nicest guy. He'd do things, he'd give, he'd give you a shirt off his back. And then he got, he got put in a position of authority. He worked his way up and got put up into a position of authority where he was a crew leader. And it's like something switched in this guy's brain. Once he became a crew leader, suddenly he couldn't be told anything. He went from being a hard worker. I had to go help him on a job. We had to go finish this big job, and he didn't have enough time to get it done. The sun was going down. We had to put a stain on this floor, and I came in there to help him. It was three stories, and I remember he was, uh, I went up to the third story and was finishing it off there, and I was vacuuming, and I come downstairs to grab some out of the truck, and he's sitting there on his phone and, and, and uh, just sitting there while I'm working. I'm like, we're in a big time crunch. I, like, drove out of my way to come here and help you, dude. What are you doing? Oh, you know, I just, you know, I got to make a call, you know. Dude, get off the phone, bro. We, we got to get this done. The sun's going down. And then I go, I go upstairs, and then I hear the vacuum come on because he's vacuuming the floor down there. You know, you can tell when somebody's using a vacuum versus when a vacuum is just sitting, right? So I'm listening. I shut my stuff down, and I, and I listen, and I can listen. The vacuum, I can hear the vacuum's on, but it's not being used. I'm like, that's blankety-blank. If he's down there, just turn the vacuum on, and it's back on his phone. I'm going to wring his neck. So, of course, I, go, I run down there, and sure enough, he's on his phone. The vacuum's on. I grabbed his vacuum, threw it across the rooms, and I told him a few words. I said, this last time, or I'm leaving, and it was, it was his, his job. I was going there to help him, right? We got paid commission based on the work we did, right? And this was his job. I was helping him. And so I gave him a few, few things <laughs> that I thought about that. And, uh, and, you know, it didn't even phase him. It didn't even phase him. So I left. I just grabbed my stuff, got my, I said, you finish the job yourself, buddy. And he didn't, he didn't get a stain on that night, and he got in trouble for it. And uh, arrogance, pride, he was just, just. He just became very selfish. Once he got in a position of authority, you give some people authority, you'll find out what their real character is. Give people positions of power. Some people can seem to be unbelievably humble because they don't have power. When they're around people that they perceive as more powerful than them, they'll feign humility. And you'll think they're the most humble people on the planet. And they're just waiting for their opportunity when they have power. And you'll find that's a sick human being who's full of pride. And they will cause incredible destruction. And I've seen in the ministry many young men climbing the religious corporate ladder Playing that game, playing that game, wanting to be the big pastor. And their hearts are filled with an ungodly pride. You want to see what a, how a man is, see how he treats his wife, see how he treats his kids, see how he works, see how he treats those that are weaker to them, see how he treats people who have no power over him and no ability to hurt him. See how a man treats people like that. And you'll see what's in a man's heart. You'll see his pride. You'll see his arrogance. How does a man treat those that are weaker than him when he thinks he can get away with it? You guys seen those experiments that have been done in prisons where they've tested people to see how they would treat prisoners? And all these college students and all these people that have submitted to these experiments, they found themselves in a few months torturing prisoners. Torturing prisoners. I think there's a documentary called The Science of Evil you can look at and see. The human heart is wicked. Understand that. Your heart, the depths of your heart, is wicked. If you don't know that about yourself and understand that about yourself, it is only Christ in us. You put any one of us in the right conditions and circumstances, most of us will, will do a lot of awful stuff. If you don't know that about yourself, we need the Spirit of God 
We need God's Christ's lordship over us. We are wholly dependent on him. This is not just a cliche saying that we say. Matt's been going through Colossians and we're seeing it in those scriptures. We are dependent upon him and him alone. And if you are not, if you still have these areas of your life where you're putting yourself on the throne and have not relinquished to him, repent. Repent and let him begin to transform you. Amen. Become dependent upon him. The other way that false humility can work is it can work in the other way. There can be a false humility of people who simply sit on a church pew, been given all kinds of gifts and talents and abilities, and they never use them. How many of you, if I asked you to get up and preach right now, would be comfortable getting up and preaching here for 10 minutes? I mean, I get a little nervous before I preach, too. It's okay. Public speaking is the number one cause of fear in the world. You know why that is? Pride. It's pride. You're afraid of what other people think about you, right? Pride. Pride. How many of you have gifts, talents, and abilities that you've never used because you're afraid of what other people would think if you began to step out and do those things? There is a, there is a kind of pride that manifests in a false humility. A woe is me. I can't do anything. I'm not that good. I don't have those skills. Well, is that what God said about you? Did God give you those skills? then you have those skills and you're fully capable of doing those things. Listen to the words of Spurgeon on this. He says, now let us briefly inquire in the first place, what is humility? The best definition I've ever met with is to think rightly of ourselves. Amen? Great definition of humility. I would agree with it. To think rightly of ourselves. Humility comes from looking in the mirror honestly, deeply, profoundly, truly. And what we find is that we are frail, flawed, fallible creatures dependent upon God. It puts us in our rightful place when we simply are honest about who and what we are. So Spurgeon says, the best definition I've ever met with is to think rightly of ourselves. Humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. It is no humility for a man to think less of himself than he ought. Though it might rather puzzle him to do that. Some persons, when they know they can do a thing, tell you they cannot. But you do not call that humility. A man is asked to take part in some meeting. No, he says, I have no ability. Yet if you were to say so yourself, he'd be offended at you. (laughs) I don't have the ability to do that. But if you said you can't do that, (laughs) he'd be offended. Well, you said I can't do that. It is not humility for a man to stand up and deprecate himself and say he cannot do this or that or the other when he knows that he is lying. If God gives him a talent, do you think the man does not know it? If a man has ten talents, he has no right to be dishonest to his maker and to say, Lord, thou hast only given me five. It is not humility to underrate yourself. Humility is to think of yourself, if you can, as God thinks of you. It is to feel that if we have talents, God has given them to us. And let it be seen that like freight in a vessel, they tend to sink us low. The more we have, the lower we ought to lie. Humility is not to say, I have Not this gift, but it is to say, I have this gift and I must use it for my master's glory. I must never seek any honor for myself, for what have I that I have not received? Amen. So God has given you gifts. God has given you talents. God has given you abilities. Are you using them for him or are you hiding them under a bushel? Are you like the lazy, slothful servant that Jesus said was cast out of the kingdom who didn't multiply the talents that had been given to him? Are you hiding behind a false humility? There's really nothing more than a varying manifestation of pride in your own heart. Pride will keep you from doing great things for God, feeling you're you're incapable, you're incompetent, you're too weak, you're too frail, you don't have those gifts, 
you don't have those abilities. So one of the best ways to, to step out of that, to expose false humility in your own life, is to step up and do great things for God. Amen? Accept great challenges. Go do something great for God. Step up and do something that you don't think you could do without God's strength. Look around you. There's a mission field. There's a battlefield. There are a thousand and one battles to fight. There are a thousand and one opportunities to serve. There are a thousand and one needs around you. You have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. They may not be perfect. Of course they're not perfect. We all know that. You're going to do whatever you're going to do imperfectly. That's okay. Go and do great things for God. Amen. And I'll tell you, you'll learn humility in that process. Because you will learn how inadequate you are. You will learn how incapable you are independently of him. Amen. And so it's not just our greatest strengths that can be a source of pride. It can be our greatest weaknesses that can be objects of pride and can immobilize us. So I'll close with this. How do we, how do we deal with this? How do, what are our solutions? It's humility. Honest, honest self-examination and making Christ the Lord of our lives, all of our lives. To temper your heart, your attitude of yourself. Temper your tongue, the harsh criticisms of others. As John Wesley said, we should be rigorous in judging ourselves, gracious in judging others. Amen? We should be rigorous in judging ourselves, gracious in judging others. A mark of humility. Clothe yourself in humility. Are you clothed in humility? Are you? Honestly answer that question for yourself right now. How are you conducting yourself this morning? What was coming out of your mouth this morning to your family? What was in your thoughts and in your mind this morning, this week, those that spent the most time around you this week, would they look at you and say, that's a, a humble man, that's a humble woman? What do people that spend the most time with you think about you with regards to pride versus humility? Ungodliness, godliness. The root of all sin, one of the roots of all virtue. Clothe yourself in humility. Develop an honest, heartfelt understanding of your own weaknesses, who you are. Recognize the good gifts you have from God. Amen. Be grateful. Gratitude flows out of that. Gratefulness and gratitude are an antidote against humility. I'm sorry, rather an antidote against pride. Proud man always thinks he's entitled to more. Proud man always thinks he's being ripped off and cheated. Proud man always thinks he's being slighted. Proud man always looks at what he doesn't have and what others have. Proud man's always getting irritated, always getting angry, always losing his temper because somebody else has something, got something, got in his way. Humility breeds gratefulness and gratitude. Let your heart be filled with gratitude. We all have much, much, much to be appreciative of. Amen? Don't be jealous or compare yourself to others. Don't be jealous or compare yourself to others. Be thankful for what others have, even if it's more than you, if they have more gifts than you, or they're better other things than you. Be grateful for that. Wish them well. Be thankful. Be appreciative. Don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to Christ. I said, don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to Christ. That will ensure humility. Christ is our standard. Jesus is indeed our standard. Look to him as our example. Compare ourselves, compare yourself to him. Free yourself from the opinions of others. One of the worst manifestations of pride, which I didn't really get to talk a whole lot about, is simply that bondage and fear of what other people think. The reason why you're afraid to speak publicly. We become very easily enslaved to the opinions of others through pride. 
And there's two extremes there, right? There's the person who doesn't care about what anybody thinks, and that's pride. Nobody can tell him anything. He knows better than everybody. And then there's the person who is dreadfully afraid of every opinion formed against him or about him. Don't live in bondage to the fear of what other people think about you. The one opinion you should care about is what does God think about you? What does God see when he looks at you? Seek to put a smile on God's face. Seek a good relationship with God. All your other relationships will filter out in a healthy manner if you do that. So get out of the bondage of what other people think about you. That's pride. It's, all, it's nothing but foolish pride. I mean, make people all the time who are in bondage to this, and they don't even realize and identify that it's pride. Terrified to speak publicly or ashamed or terrified of what others might think about them if they went and did such and such or if they knew such and such about them and they live in fear and they hide some great sin from their past. It's like, what are you afraid of? Humility goes back to being honest about who and what you are, right? Be honest about who and what you are. Stop trying to hide who and what you are. So that involves listening to criticism. Welcome and invite criticism and positive feedback from others. Okay, make that a habit in your life. Listen to criticism. Welcome and invite criticism and positive feedback from other people. Do not live in isolation of the criticisms of others. Have friends in your life who can very readily, very easily criticize you. If you get irritated by their criticisms, that, that should tell you you've got a lot of pride and you need that type of criticism. You need to humble yourself and listen to criticism. So you need to welcome and invite criticism into your life. James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Amen? Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's all humility versus pride right there. The default habit of your character you you need to develop is that when somebody criticizes you, you listen. Whether the person's coming from left field, whether you agree with it or not, make it your default habit that you will stop and consider what they're saying about you. You might consider it, think about it, realize the person has horrible motives and they're completely out to lunch. But you considered it. You were willing to listen. You were willing to receive it. You were willing to think about it. You didn't get defensive, reactionary, or angry. It should be our default as mature Christian people that we listen to criticism. Amen? And the ways that this is accomplished is to have regular times of prayer, reflection, and repentance. Amen? Things aren't going to change for you if you're listening to this, and I guarantee most of you are listening to this and saying, yeah, I got that issue of pride. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I have pride there. You know how that changes? You need to have regular times of prayer, reflection, and repentance. Jesus often withdrew himself from the multitudes, went into the wilderness to pray. Now, he wasn't repenting of anything, of course. He was Jesus. He was perfect, just to clarify. But Jesus went and had a significant time to get alone and to pray. We must also do likewise. We must get alone from the cares of the world, get away from the rigors of life, get away from all the demands of life, and take a significant portion of our time on a regular basis where we shut out all the noise, all the drama, all the stress, all the demands, and we just get alone with God. We just get alone with God. It takes time for all those other voices and all those other feelings and all those other pulls and demands to start to settle down so we can start to really even hear the voice of God, and begin to reflect upon your life, your decisions, your motives, and begin to understand yourself and what drives you, why have you been doing the things you've been doing, and see things about yourself that God will begin to shine a light inside of you and show you things, and it's painful. 
You will see things that will make you want to weep. You will see things that will bring you to repentance because you realize all these areas of your life that your heart's gotten cold and calloused and pride and flesh has filled up the void where God has been absent because you've not been close to him and seeking him as you ought to be. You've got to have a regular devotional time for yourself. It's a part of maintaining a healthy relationship with God, a healthy spiritual life. And so nothing will change hearing a sermon here this morning. Things will change when you begin to make a regular devotional time for yourself where you pray, you reflect, and you repent regularly. Amen? That's how God changes our character. Amen? And so if you're sitting here thinking, you know, so-and-so really needs to hear this sermon. Understand this sermon is for you. Okay? This sermon is for you. So-and-so probably doesn't need to hear it also, but so do you. You reflect on this. Amen? You think about this. You examine your heart. You think about pride and the way that pride has been controlling you, damaging your character, damaging your life. You think of the ways that pride has been blinding you. And you repent. Amen? Christ, indeed, in the spirit of Christianity, breeds humility. Christ the servant. Christ who gave his life for others. Christ who loved us while we were yet sinners and despised him. Christ who prayed for those who beat him, who plucked his beard, and who spit upon his face. Who loved those who hated him. Who loved those who mistreated him. Christ the servant. That's our example. Christianity breeds humility. Christianity destroys pride. And understand, all of us have beaten Christ. All of us have plucked his beard. All of us have spit upon his face. And so when we come to grips with our own sinfulness, the depths of our own sinfulness, the depths of our own pride, our vanity, our ego, our love of self, then we become truly broken and truly humbled before God. And then... His grace begins to pour into us and through us. Well, that's all of his, it's all his grace. His spirit will begin to change us. Gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness. A sense of his justice and his righteousness replaces our twisted justifications of selfishness. His truth replaces the lies that we feed ourselves and our culture feeds us. The love of God tempered by the Holy Spirit replaces our unbridled passions, hot tempers, childish behavior, and the recognition of his goodness and our wretchedness in comparison strips our pride, exposes our pride, humbles us before God, and that's a good place to be. Amen? Humbled before our Creator. As Scripture says, humble ourselves before him and he will exalt us in due time. Amen? And thus we stand in Christ alone and in his righteousness. So I pray this is helpful. I pray this is edifying for you, and I'll give you a little challenge this week to... Do a study on pride with your family, with your friends. If you are married with children, do a study on pride this week with your family. Have an open, heartfelt, transparent discussion with your family about pride. And go through. There is so much good material that's been written by Christian people. There is so much tremendous nuggets of wisdom and truth in the scriptures. I mean, the church is filled with great, great writings on this topic. Go plunge into it. Feast on some great meals this week on what God has to say and what God has spoken to us about this subject of pride, and let yourself get purged of it. Amen? America is a proud, arrogant, haughty nation. All of us have pride lurking beneath the surface of our hearts, and some of us well on top of the surface. And as we are coming into hard times, 
need to walk lowly before God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. And Father, I pray that you would uh, indeed humble us, Lord, and show us ourselves. Our need to be broken before you, God. And uh, certainly I myself am frequently made aware of the ways in which pride exists within my own heart and within this own flesh of mine that I carry around in my need for repentance and for humbling myself and for seeking you, God. And I pray that we would have the strength indeed to resist the spirit of this age, the pride, the arrogance, the haughtiness of America. Thinking ourselves wise, we have become fools. And we are in need of repentance, Lord God. And I pray you would grant it to us. I pray you might bring us to a, a deeper renewal, a deeper place of repentance before you. A recognition of our need for your holiness and righteousness in our lives. And I pray you'd help us to see areas of our lives that we've not fully surrendered to you, God. I guarantee there are all of us here in various ways have areas of our heart, our lives, that are not have not been brought into conformity with your, your will. And some here maybe have never even fully surrendered to you, Lord God. Tasted of your goodness in that regard. And so, Father, I pray that that would happen, that indeed your grace would bring about the transformation as we humble ourselves before you, as we seek you diligently, Lord. May you indeed be on the throne of our lives. May our lives be brought into conformity to your will. I pray that you'd strengthen the relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents. May you turn the hearts of fathers indeed to their children, as your word says. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And God, I pray for those who are in authority in this nation, those in power. Lord, I pray for those who are running major corporations in this country, that there would be a great humbling, a great awakening in this nation. Use us as ambassadors, use us as a, as a living example, a shining epistle and a testimony of who you are, Father. And Lord, I pray this all in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right, thank you. We're going to prepare for communion. Dan, if you want to come up, you want me to do it? All right. We'll prepare ourselves for communion. <clears throat>